Bring it in. Read option. Now staring down the barrel of the NFL offseason. It's been a few days. Super Bowl has calmed down. There's been a parade. But that's not going to stop us from talking a little bit of football. Got a jam-packed return of sports gumbo. You saw it in the title of this podcast. My favorite thing to do in the offseason is just all these other sports that I follow, just take little stories from each, throw it in a pot, let them get to know each other, as my man Scotty said before hopping on, and and just talk some sports. And that's the way we like it, as I just alluded to. My friend Scotty Miller is here. We're going to give him a chance to talk about the Super Bowl, his hated Rams, most hated team for Scotty probably, won a Super Bowl, so he wasn't feeling it. But uh, <laughs> but how how are you, buddy? You won, you won our bet off. I came in Did first I? place. Yes. Final number. How about that? Yeah, the touchback thing really helped because the uh, and the uh, the uh, the halftime show. Um, I was not off to a good start because the I, I had the under on the uh, on the national anthem, and I had uh, tails uh, on the coin toss, which were just horrific calls. So, um, um, man, it it was such a good game. Um, to me, it really was, uh, and. It, it killed me to see the Rams play, but you, you uh, win the game rather, but you called it. I mean, Aaron Donald uh, for, for getting shut down. And this at, at the, the last four minutes, I'd say looked like an almost carbon copy of the NFC championship game where it was like the Rams are in it. They just scored to go ahead uh, before the two minute warning. And now the defense is going to play gangbusters and just like, uh, just, like like they're on Madden and they had some some special ability unlock and they're in the zone I believe was the the one a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and Donald just wrecked everyone after getting the the Bengals offense did a really good job of shutting him down the whole game uh, and what the the Bengals did on, on the offensive line was was genius right they'll double team and then pull the center to whatever side needs help um, and then the the Bengals defense or the uh, Rams defense got smart, loaded a guy over the center, so you had to to commit a guy to him, and then Aaron Donald was one on one, or Von Miller, or uh, <clears throat> or uh, Leonard Floyd, whoever whoever was uh, on the pass rush. Uh, it was it was a great game, and I don't think it's the last time we'll see uh, we'll see Joey Burrow there. Uh, although it's going to be tough sled in the AFC, uh, I don't think it's the last time we see him in that big game. And uh, for the Rams, it's uh, you know they were built to win that. Right, they they went out and got Matt Stafford, and even then, you know, you thought they're going for it now. They're in win Super Bowl now mode, uh, and then uh, in the middle of the year, getting Von Miller, uh, that that just uh, lent further credence to uh, to that uh, to that notion. So, uh, like I said, built to win uh, the Super Bowl, and uh, and ultimately they did. So, um, I guess good for them. I don't like. That. <laughs> I know you don't like it's such a weird thing in sports seeing your rival win a oh, Super Bowl. Worst. Like I'm, it brings out the worst in you. It really it, does. A hundred percent. And I, I dread the day the Cowboys win a Super Bowl because then it just fe- it feels like the whole season is at a loss. And in this last what ten years, eight years, you've had two of them. You've had uh, the Seahawks win, and now you've had the Rams win. And yeah. uh, 
And meanwhile, and, we've lost two. <laughs> you and the Niners have lost two. The the Cardinals were in one back in what was that 2000, 2009, right? 2008, 2009. Yeah. And that uh the game against the Steelers. So the NFC West in the last 12 years, I mean, or I guess it's more than that, 13 years, all four teams have made it to the Super Bowl. That's pretty impressive, though. Yeah. Yeah. Best division. I, I, I wonder if I was gonna say, I wonder if there's I don't think there's another division that's done that. No. Definitely not the AFC East. <laughs> Definitely no. not the AFC West. No. <laughs> not the NFC East. Not the NFC North. Not this. Yeah. No, I, it's by far the only one that's come even close to that. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It, it was a good game. And as, as we've moved on from it, I've, I've kind of softened a little bit on, on, like, I felt like I came out a little too harm of just being a like, hard of it being like, Hey, this was a great game. Like, and it, it was a very entertaining game. It wasn't super well coached on either side. It had a lot of drama, which I think helps. Um, but the game itself, I mean, there's a lot of three and outs, a lot of punts. And I think when it came down to it, just the, the better team ends up winning, right? You know, and and I think the, the calls at the end, plus the injuries to both Stafford and Burrow kind of dampened what was going to be that fourth quarter a little bit. But obviously both guys stayed in, kept playing. Thank God I was... I was getting a little hysterical on Tuesday when, when Vito and I were, were uh, you know, recording because I really thought Joe Burrow tore his ACL. I really thought or it, it was done. Turns out it's a sprained MCL, which is huge for the Bengals, like, like monumental considering of what that play looked like, his reaction on the field um, and, and all of that. And, I, you know, I posed a question to Vito at the end of the pod on, on Tuesday, which was, meant to be a, a more like bigger picture thing, right? Um, about parody in the NFL and, and how we're in as good of a place now as we've, ever, as we've really ever been. But simply it was just like, were the, were the LA Rams the best team in football this season? They had the best season start to finish, right? Like, but were they the best team? No, I, I, it's good. I, they were survived, right? Yeah. Like they, they survived, were the, gr- the playoffs were wild. The playoffs were unprecedentedly wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and chaotic, and and they survived. And, you know, it, it it it's a lot like what we'll talk about next month with the NC2A tournament. Mm-hmm. You got to get hot at the right time, and you got to win the games in front of you and survive in advance. And that's that's what it takes. And sometimes that means the best team overall uh, survives that and, and and makes it to to the end of the dance and and is is here in one shining moment uh, right after the the. Triple zeros hit the uh, hit the board in the uh, in the second half, and I think though for for much of it, it's it's the team that has the the will to survive, like the eye of the tiger says, uh, <laughs> rather than the best team that that had played the best basketball all year round. So, the, so we see a similar thing here. Did the Rams play their best football all year? No. Do we think they were the best team in the NFC playoffs? No. Do we think Matt Stafford had a lot of question marks going in because he didn't look very good in the playoffs all throughout? Yes. Did we have those same questions even three and a half quarters through the Super Bowl? Yes. Mm. But somehow they found a way to win. It, there is a cohesion with that team that I think was really special. And, and, and yeah. we broke it down on Tuesday. You know, we, we talked about like McVeigh deserves so much credit for the way that this team bought in. It's hard to get superstars 
to buy in to an almost high school slash college level of like love of the game kind of thing, right? Teammates, camaraderie, brotherhood, all that, all those buzzwords that you hear. But after the game, Aaron Donald was talking about that. And Von Miller was talking about that. And OBJ was talking about, and all these guys were talking about like, this is a brotherhood for us. It's how it felt. And I think for McVeigh to be able to create a, another one of those overused words, but to create the culture of where superstars, $100 million guys are buying into that is really special. And it allows you come playoff time to overcome things, right? I think that happens a lot. And I think it's something that Brady was unbelievable at being able to kind of cultivate throughout his whole career. And it's a huge reason why they had so, so much success, right? Like before the Tampa Bay Super Bowl last year, you know, Tom Brady texting all of his teammates individually, you know, and, and, and reaching out and, and getting everybody ready. And like that kind of stuff is huge, especially when it's coming from someone like Tom Brady. And it's different when you have a, a team that hasn't done it before too, or, a, you know, at least a team that like all the best players haven't done it before. It, it goes a long way. And I just think this Rams team found a way to connect um, and, and make the biggest plays happen. The reason I asked the question on, on Tuesday, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, Scotty, is just where we're at in the NFL, I think is in as good of a place as we've ever seen it. Because the, the quarterback play top to bottom, even without Brady, which, you know, it seems like Brady still hasn't officially retired yet. And he even said the other day, like on, on his podcast, the Let's Go podcast, um, he even said, like, I'm taking it day by day still. So who knows? Um I had also heard through back channels um, that there was an insane possibility when Sean Payton stepped down as the um, head coach of the Saints, there was a lot of rumblings that he was going to go be the GM for the Miami Dolphins and that they'd be hiring Tom Brady to be the head coach. Hmm. That was a real thing that happened. That's a real thing that was, was literally like close to happening. And then the Brian Flores lawsuit hit and it scared everybody off because Steven Ross is even before the lawsuit was looking to get out of owning the team in Miami. But I have it on, on pretty good authority that that was a possibility. Um, And that would have been interesting, pretty close to being, yeah. I mean, imagine Tom Brady being a head coach right now. Well, he'd sub himself in. If, if, yeah. if, if and there, whatever quarterback wasn't doing well, he'd be like, I got yeah. it, guys. <laughs> Player coach. Supposedly, uh, part of it too was when Bruce Arians tore his Achilles, he was out of the day to day stuff. Like the, his role came back significantly in the day to day stuff. He wasn't, you know, used to, you know, and, and so basically all the offensive planning was Leftwich and Brady. Those were the two guys who were running the offense, game planning, basically doing all that on his own. And that's kind of where the idea started at. Um, but yeah, so that that's just a little little interesting thing that almost happened, didn't happen, which, you know, for better, for worse, whatever. But yeah, so we'll, you know, you can take that for, for what it is. Um, but going back to, I just went down a rabbit hole. I just love that, loved that idea. Um, Parity in the, in the NFL being as good of it as it is, old quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, even these middle area guys like Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford, Russell Wilson, who've been around for a while, um, it, it's just great across the board. And we're, we're such 
lucky. We're so lucky as, as football fans right now to recognize. I know it felt like an outlier this year with how crazy the playoffs were, but for the next 10 years, we're going to have like Joe Burrow versus, you know, Josh Allen in the playoffs. Yeah, take you know? take your pick. Allen, Mahomes, Lamar, Lamar right? Herbert. Like, <laughs> and, and that's not even considering new guys coming in or what we're going to get to in a little bit, which is yeah. like our, our off-season predictions. What happens to Aaron Rodgers? Where does he end up? Does he end up going to somewhere like Pittsburgh? What happens to Russell Wilson? You know, all of these things are going to start mattering uh, and can continue to change it. Like if Aaron Rodgers, which I don't know why he would want to leave the NFC, considering how the NFC does feel relatively open, you know, if Aaron Rodgers goes to the AFC, then it's even more of a gauntlet to kind of go down. Um, and and I, I don't know. I just I think it's really, really cool that we're in a spot that this whole generation grew up watching Brady and Peyton and everybody else. The rules have all changed to help make, you know, the quarterback more successful in football as the numbers keep riding and the defensive rules continue to change. And the sport was really popular in the 90s and the 80s. but the Tom Brady era and the Patriots era really helped take football to that next level to where it's like not even like the hundred, I think it was 118 million people was the average viewers for the Super Bowl this year, hmm. which is the highest TV broadcast in the last five years. Like that's since a hundred and how many other things in the world can get that many people to watch the same thing at the same time with everything that we Four. have. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but even still, there's different types of porn. So I, you know, True. <laughs> right. So it's like if everybody's watching the exact same type of porn, then, then maybe. But, hey. <laughs> but other than that, like in a way, this, isn't the Super Bowl that though? I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah, it kind of is. It's football porn. So it's just really cool that we're, we're approaching an era now where we still have some of the older heads, but this young crop is just so good that I just think we see this more and more. And, what I love about the the Rams this year is that they didn't have one of those quote unquote guys, but they were the best team. And Vito, you know, made a point that he's like, you know, in American sports, we don't really deserve the true best team to win. Right. Like in European soccer, you win the most games throughout the season, you're the champion. And that makes a lot of sense. But I think why we're such sports, we're such a sports crazy society in America is because of, the underdog. It's because of the New York Giants beating the New England Patriots twice. It's because of the Eagles and Nick Foles being able to pull off an insane upset over Tom Brady, right? Like that's what we live for. And even a team like the Rams, who may not have been the best team start to finish all year, they still got it done when it most mattered. And I do put them in that category as one of the top two or three teams, regardless. So I don't know if you have any extra things you want to say there. It's just, I'm just stoked that we're in an era right now that we get top-tier play, young, talented quarterbacks. This is going to continue on for the next decade. But at the same time, you can still have – like, it's still a team sport, and you still have to have the, the most complete team in order to win. Yes, which the Bengals did not. So I'm guessing they're going to use their first few picks on offensive line. <laughs> and they're also – they have the third most cap space in the NFL this year. So there you go. they should spend all of that on offensive linemen – um and, and and protect joe burrow uh thoughts on the super bowl as a whole halftime show as you said um by the way i did you a disservice because on tuesday's pod i forgot to add in the dr dre one to your total so you hit the boyd over in receiving yards now this the cincy plus four ended up 
winning it for you, which we yeah. gave you shit for at the time, but it ended up being a decent play. Uh, you had the under, and then you had the Dr. Dre um, hit. And all of that adds up to $1,021.22. So you made a profit. If I only bet the actual. <laughs> Uh, I did no real betting. I just got overwhelmed. You know, uh, I, I went in there on Sunday morning and I was going through all the prop bets and I was like, Oh my God, there's so much stuff here. <laughs> I want to pick it all. I'm with you. And, and I, I said <laughs> the, the veto a couple weeks ago, I said my new rules that I'm not betting on conference championship games, college football playoff or championship games as a whole super bowl, I like national that. championship just sit there and enjoy the games or if you want to you know the only prop that i played was that one that was plus 1500 which was a touchdown and field goal both teams in each half which we almost got there <laughs> if it wasn't for that freaking punt interception that stafford threw they were going to go kick a field goal there and then it would have mm-hmm. hit so i was i was really i was really pissed my buddy ryan texted me because he ended up he was like yo where where'd you guys find that bet and i showed it to him and he put a little down on it um, but yeah, so Vito had 180 yeah. finish with 187. The only thing he hit was the Boyd over. So Vito had a rough day. And then I finished with 430, which wasn't great. But I had the OBJ anytime touchdown, which ended up uh, being good. Um, First touchdown score. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, boom, yeah. there we go. All right. I'm off to a hot start. Um, yeah. So I, I any thoughts Super Bowl wise or commercial wise? Because Vito and I both felt like it was a disappointing year for Super Bowl commercials. Oh, they were horrible. They just get worse and worse, man. Like yeah. I found myself, you know, after I think it was probably about midway through the third quarter, 80% of my brain was like, you can go take the dog out or go to the bathroom, whatever. You're not missing much in the way of commercials. But the other 20, which outdueled the 80 percent was like yeah you but have, you but might what? miss something <laughs> were there any no. that you liked no they were not none? <laughs> maybe the sopranos uh chevy one that was cool i like the sopranos yeah. one i loved um the uh, there was a few that i thought were pretty good i'm not i wasn't as down as you but the, the robot uh, dog one that was that okay one, really was i thought cute. that i thought that one was <laughs> stupid i didn't like that one um the one that i liked was the larry david one Oh yeah, that was the crypto one. That one was funny, Um, and then the halftime show was spectacular. And you're a West Coast guy, so unbelievable. Yeah, Yeah. go ahead. What do What do you think? What did you think? Well, I thought it was cool the way that they they had that they laid out everyone together, uh, because that just could have turned into a shit show really quick with all all of the the talent that was there. The surprise. Uh, appearance by 50 cent was unbelievable recreating Mm -hmm. the uh the in the club video that uh that uh, from 2003 um it was just so well done and i wanted more of it i found myself wanting more because it it is our music uh you know that we grew up with in our generation so uh, you know (laughs) it was funny i saw a tweet that was like we always complain because all the older people were like, oh, yeah, give me an old uh, rock band to play the show. And then yeah. they're complaining about this year's show. They're like, I don't listen to any of this music. And uh, then the realization that you're like, oh, we are the older music. Yeah. <laughs> now, We've right? now become so, the prime demographic where they're like, yeah, who, yeah. I, I, I thought um, it was spe- who won, who won it, the halftime show of the performers. I'm Snoop Dogg got screwed. He didn't get any of his songs. Uh, all he did was the the stuff that he did with Dr. Dre. Uh, so he got kind of screwed, but uh, he, he probably had a good vibe going, if you know what I mean. Uh, so, uh, oh, no, the, no did you not see there. the picture? 
No, I, 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 we talked about this on a Monday, so I, or Tuesday. So I apologize for the listeners that were rehashing it. I just still find it hilarious. The New York Post, like, there was a picture of Snoop Dogg like ripping a joint uh, on the steps of like the middle thing, and the New York Post like made it seem like it was a scandalous thing, like Snoop Dogg caught oh, smoking weed. And my response was like, in, a, in L.A. Yeah, and, and I was like, oh, <laughs> person who's famous for doing specific thing does specific thing and people get mad about it. I was like, I was shocked. I was legitimately <laughs> shocked. He wasn't smoking on stage. I was legitimately yeah. shocked. Um, the one thing that I really enjoyed and, and you tell me if this was the case, cause I think it was, yeah. I think Dr. Dre was live mixing the show. Like that switchboard was not a prop. I think it was a, an actual live mix of, of the halftime show that he was doing, which was unreal. I'm <laughs> really true. glad that you said that because I, I'd had a few pops and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, I'm watching that. And it was, I had this, I had the exact same thought and I leaned over to my roommate and I said, you think he's live mixing this? You think he's live producing it? And my roommate just looks at me and goes, no, you idiot. Why would you, why would you think that? And then I was like, I don't know. I think he might be, but then you looked at the board and it was painted all white which would have been impossible to try to live mix unless there was a few unless he like really knew what it was i don't i don't know i i'm gonna put it this way i don't think we'll ever find out and the child in me is going to hold on to this belief that he actually was live mixing it but i think i I don't think he was able to i think that would just be too hard and i think it was props but (laughs) There's yeah. going to be a piece of me that's going to hold on and say, I hope he did. So then who won that? I agree. Snoop should have gotten one of his own songs, but he's as big in those songs as Dre was, you know, Dre just like, like True. Snoop is just as famous for those songs as Dre. Um, I had a, I had gin and juice on there. Um, but, oh, well, I, I don't think Eminem won uh, despite his, his protest, uh, which was excellent. Um, I'm sure he's tired. I mean, beyond tired of singing "Lose Yourself," uh, so I, I don't think he won. See, I don't think he's. Um, I don't think he. Pro- he probably doesn't do it that much. You, really? Like, I don't think. Yeah, like, well, a, he, he doesn't tour a lot, and he, you know, doesn't. It's not like he's out there like doing. I mean, he might be, but I've also like I mean, my me and my dad have had this conversation about Springsteen. Like, do you think Springsteen's tired of singing "Born to Run"? Yeah. Probably. Or, do you, or do you think when you're a performer, <laughs> you get up there and you're just like, this is the best and the Second whole stadium's nature, going yeah. along with yeah. it? Like, I, I, my guess is he probably isn't bored of it, but that's interesting. I thought he, I thought he was great. I thought Kendrick stole the show. I thought Kendrick, Kendrick was, was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And again, uh, not the, the songs we thought he would sing, but like, no, but I love that song. Mind blowing. And of course, like once he started singing, I was like, oh yeah, obviously this song is about him listening to Dr. Dre growing up in LA. Like, of course he would play this with Dr. Yeah. Dre at the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, and so it was a college uh, anthem for me. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Like that, that, that's, that's a college yeah. anthem for me. That's, I, I it's a, love it's a good song. one. And then um, uh, I'm going to say cool Mary song. J one though. I'm going to really? say because she, first of all, she is over 50 years old. Looks she's almost 60. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. And still has the pipes of an angel. So yeah. she won for me. I thought she was awesome too. And I said this to Vito. I was like, I don't really, I never really got into Mary J. Blige. Just one of those artists that no, I never I... got into. And now like I, I, leading up to it, I was like, let me listen to a couple of her songs and see if I recognize some or, and there was a couple I did. Um, 
but then she goes on and does it. I thought she was great too. So I love, I love that take. Um, all right. I think that's, that's pretty good. Any other final thoughts on the Super Bowl, Joey B? Yeah. Well, uh, how could we leave out the stars of the, uh, of the occasion, the referees uh, who decided to insert themselves into the game late into the fourth quarter? Vito and I had a long conversation about that. And it, what I what essentially uh, it boiled down to for me, at least, and you feel free to you know push back is I was frustrated that they did insert themselves. However, they missed the huge face mask call on T Higgins that directly caused the touchdown. So I don't think Bengals fans are in a position as much as it sucks. And they're going through the, you know, the bargaining stage, right. Of, of depression, right. Or, or the grieving you know, process they're in the bargaining stage. And I can live with the face mask one, right? Because they just didn't catch it, right? They just didn't catch it. For me, it became a problem once the referees made a call that they didn't have to make. And that was that holding call uh, on uh, the linebacker Wilson there on that final drive. That to me was when I was like, all right, that like there's a difference between missing a call that is tough because someone's not in position and intentionally inserting yourself to make a call when yeah, you probably after they have let have those to. plays go all yeah, game long, all game you know and it, and it, and then the couple other ones after that i think were valid but the um that one on, on the what was a third third down it was like a third and seven or something and he threw it to cup in front of the end zone that one i thought was was just a bad i, I just thought it was a bad call and, and it just leaves that sour kind of taste in your mouth um yeah about everything yeah you but- know but Joey B will be back there, as I said. Uh, yeah, I don't think it'll be the last time we'll see him in the in the Super Bowl. So, well, uh, lots to look inter- forward to as a Bengals fan. People said the same thing about Dan Marino, and then Dan Marino never made it back. You know, that's that. And and again, looking at that gauntlet in the AFC, that's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of his career turns out. But I'm I'm rooting for Joey B. We know that. Uh, but even though the Super Bowl's gone. Season ended. It was an awesome season. I'm excited for next year already. And with that, we're going to give our predictions here for the offseason. What we think the NFL offseason is going to look like. Um, So, Scotty, you came in with some heat when we hopped on the Zoom. And you said, you're calling for absolute anarchy. So, why don't we do this? Let's go back and forth. And we can each make some of our predictions about what we think we're going to see here in the 2022 NFL offseason. And, uh, and we'll give right. you the reins first. Okay. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, the big one. We'll start off with the big one. Aaron Rodgers goes to the New York football giants. Wow. That's okay. right. Yeah. So the giants need help at quarterback They've just got a new GM. They have a new head coach, a new offense, uh, and it's the guys who who bred the uh, the hell out of Josh Allen. Um, why wouldn't you take that same arm talent, put it on a team that is already pretty good on defense, that is uh, that is needs help on the offensive line, has a star running back, a, a star core of wide receivers, and nobody to throw to them. Aaron Rodgers finally gets his guys to catch the ball in New York with that receiving core. And, uh, and uh, I, I believe uh, his, his, uh, his modeling career will take off as well. There, there's my bonus for you. 
Not with that hair right now, man. Jesus. He looked <laughs> awful at the, at the MVP, yeah. He looked <laughs> awful. His hair. <laughs> like, as a dude with long hair, like, I, I feel like I can comment when someone's just like, bro, you're not pulling it off. Normally, I couldn't give a shit about that kind of stuff. Dude, Aaron Rodgers, please, please cut your hair. It looks horrible. <laughs> I get it. Midlife crisis, all that stuff. It looks horrible. That's interesting because I've thought about the Aaron Rodgers situation a bunch, uh, naturally, as I think anyone who follows the NFL you know, pretty much has. I, I think Aaron Rodgers stays with the Packers. I think this year and everything else, not to say it's a whole to do about nothing, but when you look at that team, even like, like Eric Stokes is a perfect example, right? They draft him at the back end of the first round. He is a really, really good cornerback. You know, the gap between Sertan and him is not huge. And he was better than Caleb Farley, who got, or Fairley, who got drafted ahead of him, right? Like I I think Eric Stokes is on the track to become a, a potential like Pro Bowl type of guy. He's so freaking fast. The, the choices that the Packers made that Aaron Rodgers was upset about have ultimately paid off pretty well, right? Investing on the defensive side of the ball and it's helped them become a better team. And that Niners game was a nightmare of a matchup for them. But I, I really think he's going to stay and the Packers have expressed time after time that they want him to come back. But the thing for me that I, that I think kind of like separates it for me is what is, what is Rogers want? Right. We can insert the clip of from the notebook. Right. What do you want? Like, I just want to sit there at Aaron Rodgers. But what do you want? You know, Ryan Gosling style and and ask him, because. If his objective is to win a Super Bowl. You have to stay in Green Bay. At 38 years old, back to back MVPs, you're tied to be the, the favorite next year. They can franchise tag Devontae Adams. And you run it back, you know, you got one because the deal, I, I think Rogers, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure Rogers has one more year left on his deal. But when he restructured everything in the off season, when they, when he was like demanding the trades, you know, reportedly, um, you know, they took all of his cap money uh, and the dead cap money and basically made it that way. If he were to get traded this off season, it wouldn't hurt the Packers. And he would be able to go and it'd be easier to move his contract. But I think he has one more year. So if I'm the Packers, you throw everything you have, you bring him in. But where would he go that he has a better chance of winning than in Green Bay? Definitely not with the Giants. I don't think it is with the Broncos, even though it's his old offensive coordinator and Nathaniel Hackett. Denver? I don't – like, I just – I guess I just don't see the path unless somehow he ended up in San Francisco and, and seeing as San Francisco is the team that just beat you. I don't see the Packers willingly, unless it's like you get a Trey Lance, but they still have Jordan Love there. Hey, so KD joined us he, after we beat him <laughs> for, for sure. Um, <laughs> but remember how much shit he got for that. Right. And is Rogers going to be willing to take that much shit again? I just I don't see him going anywhere, and, and I don't know what the landing spot would be that's going to make him that much more likely to win a Super Bowl than in Green Bay, because mm-hmm. 
like it or not, he is 38. And I, and I get, he just came off an MVP performance, but like Brady just was, you know, finished second in the MVP voting this year, had his best statistical season of all time, which is saying a lot for Tom Brady. And yet Tom Brady's still right. He's still up and retired because age just catches up to you. So even when you're at the top of your game, it's not uncommon for guys to just straight up retire. Uh, the news also came out that he and Shailene Woodley called off their engagement. So that was, that was breaking news today. So he's not going to, there's not going to be any of this like, Oh, he wants to be in California or Denver because she has ties to Denver or whatever, like all that other internet sleuthing that people do. I think it just ends up back in green Bay and you bring back Devonte Adams, you franchise tag him, and you say, all right, cool. We're off. We're off. We're running. We're going to run this shit back. Cause they have a young team where they need to be young. They're going to get David Bakhtiari back and Jair Alexander, who are two of the top five players on that team, and yet they still had the best record in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it'll be fun to uh, – I, I, I really want to see some drama. I want to see where he goes because it, it'll be fun. I, I want the narrative now to be what it is, right? He's going to go back to Green Bay, come on, and then boom, bombshell. He's going to New York, baby. <laughs> yeah. Now, I will say the Adams franchise tag would be $20.145 million um, because it's 120% of his current year's cap number. So it would it would cost a lot to bring it back. Um, but I just don't th- – I mean, Rodgers, ne- he's openly said, he's like he's never played with anybody as good as Devontae Adams. At his age, what, are you going to go throw to Kenny Galladay and Sterling Shepard or – you know, KJ Hamler and Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton. Is that moving the needle? I don't, I don't think so. They're going to get Bobby Tons back. I say you you just, you run it back. You, you All right, run it back. With yours, Jeff. <laughs> what do you All got? Right. Russell Wilson will be a Philadelphia Eagle. Whoa. There's been a Giving lot of. Up on... I'm not. To be okay. clear, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Albert Breer, who for my money is one of the top five NFL reporters, if not even higher than that, um, especially with stuff like this, said that the Eagles are going to be huge players in the quarterback market this offseason. Um, there's not a team that carries the same amount of assets as the Philadelphia Eagles. They have three first round picks. That's more than enough, plus a young, promising quarterback that you can package in the deal in, um, in uh, Jalen Hurts. And I'm not sure how familiar people are with the ties between Russell Wilson and the Eagles. Um, there's a lot of them. And last year when, when he put out that whole, like, I'm not requesting a trade, but if I did get traded, here are the five teams that I would go to. Right. And it was like Chicago and new Orleans Chicago. and yeah. um, for, uh, Dallas was one of them, I think, and, and maybe LA. I don't remember. I don't remember all of the teams, but it was essentially that. Um, the Eagles were not on that list, but a huge reason why people thought was because of Sierra, right? Sierra has been perfect, you know, wife of the husband. She's obviously successful in her own career, but that you know they're kind of these like this like mogul couple, and they want to be involved in, in a big city and a big market in Seattle is just not really easy to do that. And he's given a lot to the organization. And if I'm Russell Wilson, I don't blame him for wanting to leave. I, I, I don't, I would hate to leave Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, but that organization just feels stale 
to, to a very strong degree. Philly is an hour and a half away from New York City. J.J. Redick lived in Brooklyn and commuted to Philly every single day when he was on the Sixers. So star athletes have figured out ways to do this before. His wife can be in New York and, and they can live in New Jersey or whatever. He can commute and, and they can kind of make it work. It's always so weird talking about like, NFL players commuting to work. I don't know why that always just felt a little off. Well, but Philip Rivers commute. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, after he drops <laughs> off his small school bus full of children. Um, but for, for Russell Wilson, I think that's a, I do think that that's part of it is the market stuff is important. Philly's close to New York. So you check that box off. Um, Howie Roseman was the GM or was, I, I don't know if he was a GM or if he was in the front, he was in the front office. Um, when this, when Russell Wilson got drafted, I think he was the GM or Andy still might've been there, but the Eagles were going to draft Russell Wilson. And Somebody from the Eagles called Russell Wilson on draft night and said, we're looking at, at drafting you here with our next pick. And Russell Wilson said, if you draft me, I promise I'll bring a Super Bowl to the city of Philadelphia. He's like, I, you know, all the Russell Wilson stuff you hear about. And he was really excited about coming to Philly. And it was a place he actually really wanted to go and, and play. And the, C- the Seahawks happened to be in between and drafted him and, and the Eagles never really got the opportunity. So, I don't know if it's like a white whale thing for a guy like Howie Roseman, where you're like, man, it could have had Russell Wilson and similar to what's happened with like Daryl Morey and James Harden, where it's like, we always knew that at some point, Daryl Morey wanted to have James Harden back on the team that he was running. And this time it just happens to be the Sixers instead of the Rockets. And there might be a little bit of that here with Russell Wilson. Again, the Eagles have all of the draft capital and Howie Roseman is, you know, the self-proclaimed, you know, QB factory. Right. Like that. It's this whole thing where, you know, we bring in quarterbacks and we can always develop them and goes from Nick Foles. And that's what happens when you're the team that wins a Super Bowl with a backup quarterback. So I just I don't love it because there's so many other holes on the team, but they have the cap space to make it work. They have the you know, they have more than enough draft capital to get the trade done. Um, And if it's two first round picks you know, this year and then a, a future one next year or something and and Russell Wilson. I think that gets the deal done and the cap space will work and, and the Eagles will, will kind of be on their way there. I worry about what that'll mean for the Eagles locker room, but that would be my bold prediction. My first bold prediction is I think Russell Wilson ends up on the Philadelphia Eagles. Well done. Love to see it. <clears throat> All right. Well, 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 hold up. Where do you think Russell Wilson's going to go? I think he's going to. You said it earlier. Say it. You I think he's going to go to Pittsburgh. Record. Yeah. That's not what you said. You said he was going to go to yeah, New England. Is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> he's not going to New England. They got Mac Jones. Russell Wilson will be a Patriot. And uh, and then he will uh, start his baseball career. The Red Sox organization playing at Pawtucket. There you go. <laughs> I First of all, I, I think it's not that crazy at all i think it was actually kind of i loved the take seriously like he he would be great in new england if he's on that team instead of mac jones that last year that team is significantly better with that offensive line the running game and i know the wide receivers aren't awesome in new england but he would be able to help elevate them plus with that defense new england would have been probably in the mix for the super bowl this year Mm -hmm. agreed yeah, that that would have been wild. 
to see him on that team because the things that he could could have done to open up uh open up the the passing game oh yeah that would have been nuts because uh, look some of the throws mac jones had were excellent like dime throws uh that very few people in the nfl can make and that's saying a lot for a rookie quarterback that his development was that good late in the season that he he could have made those but russell wilson that's just automatic for him so uh all right well wow. yeah what's your net what's your next bold prediction Kyler Murray. Bold. we're gonna I, stick with the quarterbacks kyle murray, murray will be a denver bronco really yeah he's done in arizona tired of it needs to go to a place with a good offensive line an offensive uh uh guys he can he can throw the ball to and and guys who will block up front in him for run for running and they've got uh uh melvin gordon's a free agent but they do have javante williams who will help open up the run game uh for them uh in denver and he's going to sling the ball. He can throw it almost pretty, pretty damn far. He's he's up there with the with the uh, the guys in the NFL who can uh, who can hit the uh, sixty plus yard mark in 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 terms of throwing the ball. So uh, get him up in Denver. He'll get he'll get up into the seventies, and you'll see a lot of a lot of touchdowns from uh, Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler burning it off, top off next year. Maybe I, I he did come out and and kind of say like oh man everyone's freaking out about the media making something out of nothing and i'm like i don't know dude you went out of your way to unfollow a team and, and swipe your like instagram and your social media from any relation of the team like that's kind of on you dude like you can't be mad at people reading into that when you do something that's that blatant and uh and obvious so yeah i mean you know what it kind of feels like when a team comes out and they're like no we love our coach you know we're gonna stand by him and then like and that's like week 14 and then day after the regular season ends that coach gets fired right and there but there's just like the first public seed was planted so i, I definitely could see that happening I, I think kyler murray stays in arizona i i will say this though if people aren't familiar with kyler murray's story and for most people they're not because when you think kyler murray now as a casual football fan you think oklahoma heisman Lincoln Riley, college football playoff, right? Like that's kind of the mode that people think of Kyler Murray in. Um, but Kyler Murray did not start his college career at Oklahoma. He started his college career at Texas A&M. And I'm not going to go through the whole story with all the details. You can feel free to look it up. But this looks eerily similar to kind of what he did with Texas A&M, except he's got a significantly bigger platform now. So people monitor like, Oh, who's this guy following? Who's this guy not following? But if you talk to Texas A&M fans about Kyler Murray, they're not huge fans of him because they kind of feel like this guy quit on us and was never really all bought in and is kind of a me guy. And I've heard through the grapevines that he's kind of a me guy. And that's kind of the way that people think. And I'll just say this. I work with four people who are deeply tied into the Oklahoma football program. And I have a pretty good authority that, Kyler Murray's not the uh, the most um, rah rah team building kind of guy, um, which we just saw work in. We just talked about that's pretty much what happens when you win a Super Bowl. So Kyler Murray's stock has never been further lower in my book than it is right now. I love the talent. I love what he can do on his own. 
but he can't stay healthy. And kind of seems like he's got a little bit of his track record suggests. And granted, he was 19 years old or whatever old he was when he left Texas A&M, 20 years old. But his track record suggests that maybe this is the end for him in Arizona. Uh, I have two draft, bold draft predictions for you here. Uh, our, our man, uh, uh, McVay, or not McVay, uh, McShay. It's not my man. No. <laughs> uh, Todd McShay um, released his first mock draft of the year, uh, at least post-Super Bowl. And he has Kayvon Thibodeau sliding down to number five. And that's wild. I think it's going to slide even further. Really? Just like we were talking about with Kyler Murray, Kayvon Thibodeau is a me guy. And it's very apparent. He also went on, uh, uh, I think it was during the national championship game. He did like a, there was Fox is doing like a simulcast thing. And it was him and Joel Klatt like sitting in, you know, comfy chairs or whatever. And then even unprovoked from Joel Klatt, uh, like Joel didn't ask him about it. But Kayvon Thibodeau basically was just saying, like, you know, if you ever look at the marketing, you know, he's like, I came to Oregon because I want to make a brand. And, and I, you know, I majored at marketing and he took a giant shit all over Alabama and their like uh, education side in the academic side of Alabama. And just said, he's like, who's who's going to Alabama for, you know, for marketing? Like, right. You know, I'm trying to become, you know, an entity and all this stuff. And and by the way, he has access to certain things at Nike, which help him do that. But to then bring in the Alabama school side of it was super uncool. But then, Scotty, you look up the like school rankings, like top 100 marketing programs in the country. Alabama is in like the top 30 in almost every single list. Oregon's not even in the top 100. Mm. So he's obviously in a unique situation where he can work with Oregon execs because of the NIL stuff, right? He had an NFT made for him that was like a really big deal when the nil stuff first happened um i don't think teams i don't think he will come across well on teams however he is a ridiculous athlete he beats guys on the perimeter through speed alone right like he just bends the outside there's no offensive lineman in the pac-12 that could handle him which is why he was so dominant he's a freak athlete but again i am I always hate doing this sometimes, but like I work with guys who played defensive line in the NFL. And when they tell me this guy has no moves, he has no hand rush. He's got no bull rush. He doesn't have spin moves. He's he beats guys purely on his athleticism where it's like Adam uh, Aiden Hutchinson, not as elite of an athlete as Kayvon Thibodeau, but he's stronger. He's got better technique. He's got better footwork. He's got just an overall better demeanor. People are drawn to him better and, and more so. I think a lot of teams are going to get turned off by Kayvon Thibodeau. I think he has a big drop. My other uh, draft prediction here, Malik Willis will be the first quarterback taken off the board. I was going to ask you, which quarterback do you think is going to slide into the top 10? I think Malik Willis will be drafted somewhere in the back half, somewhere around 10, right? So like from eight, to like 13, like somewhere in that mm-hmm. ballpark. Like a Pittsburgh sort of thing? He's uh, – uh, or um, the only would be like Washington Commanders, right? You know, they're uh, – the Commanders. The Commanders are sitting there, I think, at 11. <laughs> um, yeah, they're, they're picking 11 right now. They're going to need a quarterback. 
if you look is at that the our top, first commander's reference on the uh, on the podcast outside of making fun of the name yeah yeah it is <laughs> um but you look at the top 10 and it's jacksonville right they don't need a quarterback uh and they're not going to reach for it at one two detroit they do need a quarterback but they're also not going to reach for one at two when there's other talented guys on the board mm-hmm. uh, uh houston not really sure what their deal is with the quarterback, but again, number three is going to be too high for any of these quarterbacks. Jets, they're solid. The Giants drafting five, that defense needs some some help. Offensive they're, line, too. I could see maybe the Giants trading back and drafting a quarterback, but I, but I don't think they're going to do that, and I do think they're already committed to Daniel Jones coming back next year. The Panthers, they do Aaron need Rogers. a quarterback. Or Aaron Rodgers. Um, the Panthers need a quarterback, but again, at six, are you going to reach for one of these guys? The reason I say Malik Willis is going to go at first quarterback off the board, he also grew up a Falcons fan. Falcons drafted eight, so maybe the Falcons trade back or maybe they reach a little bit and get their guy for post-Matt Ryan. The guy's skill set is absurd. You know, he, he's a huge body. He's got a rocket arm. At the Senior Bowl, it was very apparent that he had more arm strength, more arm talent than anybody else. And I just – I think it makes the most sense – that if you're going to fall in love with somebody in the draft at quarterback in this year's draft, you're going to fall in love with a guy who has the most physical skills and, and roll the dice that your team's going to be able to develop. So whether that's Pittsburgh, Washington, Atlanta, maybe Denver at nine. Um, that's what I think. Also, didn't Denver draft nine last year? That's crazy. Uh, yes. Back to back years with the number nine overall pick. Um, we'll, well see. We're going to play nine twice because of uh, Denver's record. So, um all right give us uh one more here and then uh we'll we'll take a break and and move on to some other stuff okay i'm gonna stick uh i'm gonna stick with the quarterbacks um i got two this this one might not be so bold no i'll I'll go i'll leave it at one because i don't think the second one has a, a snowball's chance in hell uh i'll leave it at one uh, and I'm going to stick with the quarterbacks. Justin Herbert throws for over 5,000 yards, wins the MVP next season. I love the prediction. That's not an off-season prediction. It's a next. Oh, sorry, off-season. Wow. Yeah. So Deshaun Watson, New Orleans Saints. Saints. I Saints think- need a quarterback, and and they're going to. I think the Saints will probably end up taking one of these guys, especially if Corral falls to them. Um, but are you really going to start Ian Book? Are we really going to do this thing again with uh, with Taysom Hill? Come on, guys. <laughs> you I, need someone who's an established quarterback. Yeah, but they won't be able to handle his cap money. That's the only thing. Yeah. If Sean yeah, Payton and, was there, I, I might be a little, might be a little more bought in. Um, but I don't know. That's that's an interesting one. I, th- I don't think we see Deshaun Watson go anywhere. I, I don't think we see him play next season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, I just, I don't think any of this stuff That's is a- going to get fi- figured out. You know, if somehow well, it all and, gets figured and, out in time, then, then yeah, I'm in. But, and similarly for the Saints, I mean, they might need to, to go out and get one of these guys in free agency or running back, like a, uh, a, uh, uh, Leonard Fournette potentially, because who knows how, what's going to happen with, uh, with uh, uh, Alvin Kamara, so yeah, maybe yeah, a little homecoming for Leonard Fournette, bring him back to New yeah. Orleans. I actually think New Orleans ends up drafting a quarterback. They and pick eight, they pick eighteen. 
You might as well just throw the rookie out because that roster is going to be weird next year. I think maybe like Matt Corral, that's who McShay has him taking. You know, maybe a like I I said forever, I thought Kenny Pickett would be awesome with Sean Payton, but it's not Sean Payton anymore. It's Dennis Allen. So this whole like the Saints always felt like this safe destination that you could throw out for shit like this. You can't really do that anymore because it's like, all right, well, Sean Payton's not there. It's, it's a whole different team now. Dennis Allen's a defensive yeah. guy. There is no Sean Payton there. Um, but I, I see them maybe, you know, taking a chance there um, with something else. Um the last one for me here before we take a break would just be, I think a quarterback that nobody's talking about now ends up getting traded. Like, I, I think we see like an NBA style trade where just like out of nowhere, because there's seven guys, or I guess you could say eight guys who feel, and there was a whole ESPN article written about it. Um, that's in the ES, one of the ESPN plus ones. Um, but there's like eight quarterbacks who you could realistically see on the move, one of which we know is more than likely going to be on the move. So that's, you got Rodgers, Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Jimmy G, Kirk Cousins, Carson Wentz, Derek Carr, Baker Mayfield. I think those are probably the eight guys you, we could say. I think there's going to be another quarterback, whether that's Jalen Hurts getting traded, right, or Mac Jones getting traded, somebody like that, like a younger, promising quarterback who gets traded for – maybe a better player. I could see that happening too. So, um, all right. That's fun. We got a bunch of stuff going on in the off season. Uh, I guess I'll add one more and just say Devonte Adams does not return to the green Bay Packers. Really? Even if Aaron Rodgers stays, no, if Aaron Rodgers stays, I think he stays, but it's just going right. to, it's just, once I saw what that cap number is for the, fr the franchise tag, that's brutal. Like, that's a tough number. And with the numbers he's put up over the last couple of years, you would like to have him as a long-term contract, and it's easier to manipulate the cap stuff with that. But he's going to want a lot of money. And um, now if Devonta Adams leaves, Aaron Rodgers, no way he's coming back to Green Bay. That's what I would say is like follow that as the, uh, as the keystone for where, for where Aaron Rodgers ends up in 2022. All right, quick break. There you go. We're going to come back. Like I said, this is sports gumbo. So we hit the NFL, we got the NBA, and then a little golf to wrap up on the other side. While the NFL season has come to an end, the NBA season is about to hit its stride. We are just uh, not that far away from the, the All-Star break. Is that Saturday. This weekend, right, is All-Star yeah. weekend. Uh, we obviously have had a bunch of trades in the NBA. James Harden being one, uh, and for Ben Simmons, and we talked about that deal last week. Uh, other than that, not a ton of huge moves. The Porzingis trading him out of Dallas was big. He's now with the Washington Wizards. But the NBA this season has been a weird place because a lot of the stuff that happens early on in the NBA season, you kind of you chalk it up to just randomness right like the washington <laughs> wizards were like the number one team in the eastern conference for like the first month of the nba season well since yeah, then now they're out of the playoff picture <laughs> they've fallen back to earth you know and they just traded for Przingis, and maybe they're gonna make a push right now they're sitting at yeah. 11th so they could still be in the play-in games yeah. um, which but conversely jeff mm -hmm. I, you got teams like like the bulls and and cleveland in the east who are way ahead of schedule uh as it seems, and, and they look like actual contenders. They're top four teams. 
100 percent, and that's exactly the point i was getting to is like a lot of that stuff that happens early on we usually chalk it up and then we don't think about it or whatever um and that's not the case this year because outside of the wizards pretty much everything else has stayed the same uh the warriors are still up there right people thought eh, you know we'll see what happens when clay gets back but I don't think this Warriors team is sustainable to be number one, number two seed in the West. Well, turns out they are because they are right now number two in the Western Conference with the Memphis Grizzlies right on their heel. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies are another one of those teams where like, man, they're really overachieving. Uh, at some point, they're going to fall back down to earth and they just haven't. The Bulls are another great and the Bulls are doing this without Levine. All right, I don't know if you've seen the yeah. run that DeMar DeRozan's been on. I think it's yeah. like five straight games of 35 plus points in a row. Yeah. He tied well, some let's... records. He's, he's been unbelievable so far. Um, so I'll, I'll ask you this to this point in the season, what has been this, the, the storyline here for the NBA, right? I know we're locked in on football, but you and I both follow the NBA, you know, along too. what's been the storyline of the, of the NBA season that has um, either shocked you or been the one that stood out the most to this point in the season. Uh, it's home teams that have uh, made me a, a a ton of money in, a, in an eleven game stretch uh, a couple of weeks ago. No, it's, <laughs> it's true though. The, the home teams were undefeated against the spread uh, for for like some like two straight weeks. It was nuts. Um, I, I think it's I think it is those those surprise teams, you know. And I think um, I think the Bucks have taken a step back, even though they're they're up near forty wins and they're only two games out. The East is wide open. Uh, Chicago is way ahead of schedule, and DeMar DeRozan is leading that charge. Uh, the Heat are, are a team who I, I didn't think could bounce back the way that they did. And this season, uh, playing, I think most of their games, they played on the road in the first half. Uh, and, and there they are sitting a half a game out of first. Uh, and, and then the Cleveland Cavaliers, like I said, have just been on an absolute tear uh, this season. Just playing really, really good basketball for a ton of uh, young, talented players to be as cohesive as they are. Uh, it's fun to watch, even though it is the Cavaliers, which as a Warriors fan, I don't really care for, but uh, neither Why? here nor there. Then you have the t- uh, just the rivalry we had in the finals. It's fine, though. It was all LeBron, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the teams that stand out to me that are underachieving, right? I'd throw the Sixers in there uh, because for the talent they have, they should be better than a six seed. And again, still only three games out though. Well, to uh, be Celtics, fair, I mean, their, their second best player talent wise didn't play the entire season. True. Yeah. And like now you've fact- got Harden and, and there you have a legitimate shot at the one seed, uh, and that's not even uh, uh, remotely insane to say. No, not um, at all. Same thing with the Celtics and the Nets too. Uh, yeah. Those are teams that have just a, a wealth of talent, a wealth of depth and they find themselves in the middle of the pack here. Um, and I think that's the big story is like, you're going to see these teams kind of fall off. And we've seen it a little bit with the warriors over the last, uh, over the last two weeks, three weeks stretches that Draymond being injured, uh, them trying to find their groove back with clay, which I think happened last week when he kind of went off on, on a, a 33 point tear. Um, it's, I don't know that, that, I think it's just, a, I'll put it this way. I think it's just being tired. Like we need the all-star break sort of, sort of slump. It's not, uh, it's not anything to be concerned about at the moment. Uh, I, I think, I think they are for real. I, I, and I think that they, we saw on Christmas day, they, they can play with the, with the best team in the conference uh, and make it a slugfest. And it's hard to play defense against 
Chris Paul and and uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. Uh, any team in the NBA will tell you that. And they, uh, the Warriors could play with defense well enough to uh, to be in that game and win it. And they now have one of their best uh, offensive players back in Clay Thompson and uh, one of the, one of the best scorers in the NBA. So uh, I think they'll be there. Memphis in the West is a huge surprise uh, to be this high up at this late in the season. I, John yeah. Morant is on another planet. I mean, just unbelievable what he's doing. So, um, you know, it's even the West though, I think is, is a little, a little open too. So, well, the West is second the, half. <laughs> the West is very top heavy, right? So, between this is one of the crazier things and the difference between the two conferences and, and they are, you know, diametrically opposed right now in, in terms of how they're, they're built and how the season's been playing out. So the difference from the one seed to the 10 seed in the Western conference. So the one seed is the Phoenix suns. Now, because of the play in, you know, seven, whoever finishes seven plays 10 in the play in, whoever plays eight, play, you know, whoever finishes eight plays nine in the play in, so in the Western Conference, you have the Phoenix Suns in first place. And then all the way down at 10 is the Portland Trailblazers. And the Suns are 23 and a half games ahead of the Portland Trailblazers, mm-hmm. which isn't that out of the realm weird. Um, obviously, the Sun, I mean, the Suns are the, the best 10 loss team this late into a season that never gets talked about. It, it's insane because the Suns really are a good step above everybody else in the NBA right now. I I believe that, Mm -hmm. but it's a 23 and a half point or or 23 and a half game difference between the Suns and the Blazers in the West in the East between the number one seed Chicago bulls and the 10 seed Atlanta Hawks. It's nine and a half games. So you're going from 23 and a half to nine. That is the competitiveness in the Eastern conference mixed with, as you pointed out, a lot of disappointing performances so far this season in terms of where we thought these teams would be. But there's also a lot of explainable stuff with these teams, right? The Bulls, the fact that the Bulls are still in first place, even if it's only a half a game over Miami, without Zach Levine for the better part of this last month, and he's got one of those knee things that you're not really sure about. The Alex Caruso thing was huge. He was just cleared today, Zach Levine. So he'll be back after the All-Star break. And then Patrick Williams, who was this top you know, 10 draft pick that they had a year ago, who was showing a ton of promise on the defensive side of the, of the floor. He's now out for the whole season. Maybe long shot gets back for the playoffs. Cause I think he tore his ACL or it was an Achilles. It was one of the two. Um, and yet the bulls are still in first place. Uh, the bucks don't sleep on the bucks. That's all I'm going to say. This team won a championship last year. It's the, it's the regular season. They're laying low. They're winning a bunch of games. They're going to end up as a top three seed in the Eastern conference. And they're still, in my opinion, the far clear and ahead favorites of for the Eastern Conference. It is the Milwaukee Bucks. The Heat, they're overperforming to my expectations as well. I'm with you there. Uh, you know, they go out and they get Kyle Lowry. It's, you know, 36-year-old Kyle Lowry and 33- or 34-year-old Jimmy Butler, who is, is you know, minutes-wise after playing for Tibbs all those years, Jimmy Butler's more or less like, could be 38 like honestly like his the the wear and tear on his body for what his age actually is is pretty astounding but the big thing for them has been bam out of bio jumping back he had a really down year last year he's bounced back huge has been awesome and then tyler hero who had a horrible sophomore slump last year 
after being the rookie in the bubble who dropped 37 points and had the unbelievable or 40 something. I forget what the final number was, but had that unreal game in, I think it was in the Eastern conference finals against the Celtics. So you have both of those, the heat they're in there. They're consistent. I don't know if they have the top end to be able to actually beat Milwaukee or go on, but they're winning a lot of games right now, but all these other teams, like the Sixers, very explainable why they've struggled so much. Brooklyn, it's very explainable. Like Kevin Durant hasn't played. Kevin Durant, up, yeah. Kevin Durant is hurt. Like w- when the best player in the world, who was by far going to be the MVP through the first third of the season, gets hurt and is going to miss substantial time, like you're going to drop. Kyrie missed basically the first third of the season entirely and now is only playing on road games because of the whole, all the vaccine shit. And it's like, yeah, no wonder James Harden didn't want to fucking be there. Because he went there because he his role was supposed to get dropped back. He wanted to be a piece of a team that would win. And that's kind of what he was when he first got there last year. And we saw those 16 games of them playing together. And then all of a sudden it's the Kyrie, you know, vaccine bullshit. And it's now Kevin Durant's hurt again. And now, oh my God, how is everything falling on me with Blake Griffin's body falling apart in one corner and Marcus Aldridge's knee hanging off in the other corner. And it's all these older guys and Nick Claxton and, like, no shit. I wouldn't want to play and be in that situation either if I'm James Harden. Yeah. But the Eastern Conference is just – and then you, like, don't forget, like, the Hawks, too. The Hawks were in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, and they've been as disappointing, I think, as anybody, but they kind of fall victim to the, hey, we have too many pretty good guys. Like, they have Trey Young. He's the all-star. John Collins, really good player. And then it's just a shitload of just – guys that everyone in the league would love to have on their team. Everybody yeah. would love a DeAndre Hunter. Everyone would love a Kevin Herter. Everyone, you know what I mean? Like it's all these role players and they have too many of them. It's too many mouths to feed. And we saw them make the trade that sent uh, the kid who, uh, who was at Duke with Zion and, and RJ Barrett. I don't know why I'm blanking on his name. Um, uh, God, it's killing me right now, but they traded one to the Knicks and, um, that is going to piss me off so much, but we're going to continue on the pod anyway. Um, so they're trying to make moves, but they ultimately didn't do enough around the deadline that makes me feel like, oh, unless Atlanta kind of fixes their shit, I don't know how long, if at all. And then it's all these upstarts, you know, Cleveland being at number four right now and playing well and with, you know, Evan Mobley and and Darius Garland and, and it's Jared Allen is an all-star. <laughs> like, it's just all this crazy. Like I, Jared Allen was like, Oh, I kind of like that guy with the Afro. He, and then it's, Oh my God, Jared Allen's like best. One of the best rim protectors in the league. And now it's like, Oh shit. Yeah. Jared Allen is an all-star and Evan Mobley is going to be an all-star, you know, at, at 19 years old, what he's doing this year is ridiculous. The Celtics were a laughing stock for most of the year. And now they've gone on this tear. They've won. I think they're nine and one in their last 10 games. I think they've yeah. won nine games in a row. So, or no, they that streak they got broke last last, last <laughs> yeah. night. Yeah, but they beat the Sixers by forty eight points the other nights. So the the Celtics, if they kind of get everything together, can be good. But you know, a month ago we're talking about the Celtics aren't even in the play in games, and now they're the six seed. They wouldn't even be in the play in tournament if it started tomorrow. And that just goes to show how tight everything is. Now, I do want to talk about your Warriors because you, you you talked about it a little bit there with Clay Thompson. I, Clay is the reason why this little slump is hitting it and not for bad reasons, not because like mm-hmm. Clay Thompson isn't valuable. A couple of things. Obviously we have gotten way too comfortable with this idea. And it happened right before Clay came back too, where we were like, Oh, this, you know, best trade acquisition, best, you know, mid season move of any team is going to be golden state getting Clay Thompson back. 
And I think by the time the playoffs come around, that's going to be true. But the dude didn't play professional basketball since June of 2019. It had been two and a half years since he played professional basketball. And on top of that, the Warriors were humming, dude. Jordan Poole, all these role guys, Andrew Wiggins. Gary Payton the second, unbelievable. Gary Payton Jr. What Wiggins is doing. Right. And the way Looney played down low has just been phenomenal all, all season long. And it's flat out wrong that Andrew Wiggins is an all-star game starter. I think that's a fucking embarrassment to the league. I'm sorry. It's just a fucking embarrassment. Figure out your all-star shit and make it so we never, ever, ever have Andrew Wiggins as an all-star starter again. I would have been fine if he made the team as an like, as a, one of the bench guys. As a starter is a fucking joke. I'm sorry. I know Warriors guy. I get it. It's a fucking joke and it's disgusting. Um, because I know it's then we're talking about all-star all-star games matter in the NBA. They matter for contracts. They matter for pay, you know, uh, max, max deals and shit. Like you can get into extra zones, bonuses, all that shit. Like it matters. When we talk about hall of fame guys, all-star games matter. You can't have a system that has Andrew Wiggins as a starter. You just can't, you got to figure out something else. Um, but with all that being said, they were cruising on pace with the feet with Phoenix until clay came back. And it's just going to take some time for Clay to get comfortable playing NBA basketball again. I think he came back at the perfect time where he's going to have basically a little bit more than half of a season to play, to get his minutes up. He's not on a minutes restriction anymore. That was just like a week ago. And it's just going to continue to get better and better and better. And they're going to have to kind of recreate some of the synergy they had early on in the season. But instead of Jordan Poole being a starting two guard, He's going to have to be the sixth man coming off the bench and with the second unit and figure out how he can make an impact in a shorter amount of time. Uh, yeah. The Memphis Grizzlies are my favorite story this whole season. I love John Morant. Just, Mine's I the love Lakers. that team. Dylan, <laughs> well, we'll get to them in a second here. Um, I, I love John Morant. He, if it wasn't for Embiid and Jokic, he would be the MVP, in yeah. my opinion, because what he's done is unbelievable. But what's even more impressive is what Memphis has done during the stretch when John Morant was out. There's about a three-week stretch earlier in the season where John Morant was hurt, and they didn't miss a beat. In fact, they actually won more games. Their defensive rating got better. A lot of their stats, their advanced metric stats, all got better when John Morant was out of the lineup, which is not to say that they're better without John Morant by any means. It goes to show how well-coached that team is and how good some of those guys are. And, you know, they have Steven Adams in there who's been huge for them, like, to think, you know, when they traded away Valanciunas last year, I hated it. I was like, why would you trade away for this contract? It just didn't make sense. Steven Adams has been awesome for them. And this whole team, slow-mo, Kyle Anderson, Dylan Brooks, and then you have this. It reminds me a lot of the Derrick Rose Bulls, where it's huh. just we have this freight train from hell, and we got a bunch of quality guys around him, and we're just going to let them roll. And we just, we run with him. And historically, that's not a great precedent for point guards. AI, right? They made it to the finals, won one game. You know, he stepped over Ty Lue, and that was about the, the, the peak of AI's career. And not, I mean, in terms of like individual moments and playoff success and stuff. And then Derrick Rose, you know, obviously has the tragic injury tearing his ACL, and he's never quite the same again. And, you know, you can throw even guys like Russell Westbrook, like freight train, one man, those Oklahoma City teams after KD left just never were quite the same. See the same thing with Dame. So what I'm hoping for with Memphis, because the the grind, the grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies kind of feel like they're back with this team. 
and I love it. And I just hope that they end up making a move. And I know they believe in Jaron Jackson Jr. to be another all-star type of guy, but there needs to be a wing guy to have off of John Morant. Mm-hmm. But he just, he he's not, but the thing with, I guess that's better with him than like Russ or some of these other guys. Like, yeah, Russell, excuse me, I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> I might be the first sneeze we've had in the pod. Um, John Morant. Thank you. Um, John Morant makes people better around him and not just in, oh yeah, well, James Harden had 15 assists or, you know, Russell Westbrook had, it's different. It's different than just that raw number of like assists. It's how guys are switching off of you, how guys are, you know, moving in the half court offense, what he's able to do in transition. Like he's an unbelievable transition passer. And like, he never gets enough credit for that John Morant, but he also possesses such a threat to go up and dunk over anybody that it just keeps defenses on their heels when he's, you know, moving down the lane. I just love that Memphis team. And I hope they make a deep run into the playoffs because I want to see John Morant in the playoffs Uh, down the rest of it. Utah kind of feels like a less good version of the Utah team. We saw last year and the couple of years before that the Mavs have been quietly on a good run here, seven and three in their last 10 games. Luka Doncic really starting to heat up. He came into the season grossly overweight and out of shape. Um, not grossly overweight, but like came in way out of shape for what an NBA player should be. Feels like he's kind of hitting his stride now. And now there's no Porzingis. They get Spencer Dinwiddie, which I don't, I don't love that fit for no. uh, for him. But it does at least allow another off-ball scorer. You know, um, a, a guy who you when Luca's on the bench, you can put him with the ball in his hands. You can use him as a spot-up guy. But Spencer Dinwiddie is also one of those irrational confidence dudes who I just think takes too many shots as a whole, so I don't love it. And then you have your Denver Nuggets, who, above all else, the MVP. <laughs> have no, they have the guy who's in second in the MVP, uh, Nikola Jokic, but he is the MVP last year, so all right, that stands. Uh, I love Jokic. He's unbelievable. No Michael Porter Jr. for the whole season. More than likely not going to see Jamal Murray back until maybe yeah. the postseason, but even still, I think that's stretching shame. Um, and yet this team is still eight games above 500 and they're, they're a good team. Like Jokic, just the way he's able to elevate everybody around him is just fucking yeah. absurd. And, and you saw it last night at the end of the Warriors game, mm-hmm. the Steph Curry had just scored with two seconds to go in the game or uh, five seconds to go in the game. Jokic gets the ball and, and, and baits Curry into guarding him as he's, as he's trying to drive down low kicks it out to the wing to to uh, a wide-open three uh, for, for Denver to win the game. But that's what he does is he's like he forces you to defend him on ball and then makes the people around him better by distributing or, or, or whatever it is. What I love about Jokic, too, is he – like if you, if you watch – next time you watch a Denver game, don't focus on Jokic. Just for – you know, like take 10 possessions in a row and don't focus on Jokic. Focus on everybody else uh, on his team. They don't run a ton of action. They don't run a ton of picks. They're not cutting backdoor, all that stuff. Jokic goes to where he wants to go, and then he picks teams apart. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's, not, it, it's like if I go down here, I'm getting this double team. I have that there. He can kick it over. Boom. You know, it's like his brain is seeing shit at such an advanced level. You know, he outside of – you know, Chris Paul, he's the best passer in the league. Like, I, I think he's a better passer than LeBron. And I, I get what that, what I'm saying there, but 
just I'm just saying, watch the dude and the numbers, the numbers bear it out. It's it's ridiculous. And that his size and everything, he's a point guard. He's a freaking point guard. But instead of setting it up at the top, you know, at the top of the key, like a lot of guys do who are point guards, he's doing it from, you know, the left hash. Right. Or not left hash. Jesus Christ. I'm still in football. mode. <laughs> he's doing it from like the block. left. Like he, yeah. He's doing it from like I, I meant block. Yes. Um, or he's doing it from the elbow or he's, you know, he's doing it from the top of the key himself, but he's backing down and working things out. He does it from under the basket. He's just, and he's honestly, his defensive play has gotten even better this year too, which he's always been a smart defender, a really good help defender, but this year it really feels like it's taken a step up. So I, I love that, that Nuggets team. Timberwolves, nice story. Nice to see them doing all right. But then we come down to the Lakers at nine, who one of the biggest I told you so's of collective sports media mm-hmm. was Russell Westbrook is going to be a disaster as a Los Angeles Laker. And I know you hate L.A. And I know it sucks that the Rams just won the Super Bowl. And I know that the Dodgers just won a Super Bowl in 20 or won a World Series in 2020. And I know that the Lakers even won a World Series or won an NBA Finals in 2020. But this has at least got to make some of that feel better. Watching this team implode within itself. Anthony Davis got hurt again last night, sprained ankle. He's going to be out for another two weeks. He's been mm-hmm. very hit or miss all year. And more often than not, he's been missing. I've personally kind of enjoyed it because I hated how arrogant LeBron was about the whole, you know, oh, you're going to call us old. Like hold this same energy, you know, nine months from now when we're going out and trying to win a title. It's like, bro, you may not even be in the play-in. Well, so, yeah, that's that's part of what I want to get to. It is pleasurable to watch this because I did, you know, I, I, I was with everyone that said once Westbrook is out there trying to be the guy on a team with LeBron, uh, you can forget it. Just write that off, clear it away. Like, that's not going to work. Uh, I'm interested – in uh in what happens here if with lebron if they don't make the playoffs because i don't know that it's out of the realm of possibility for him to walk away knowing that this is a team that he for the most part constructed wanted these guys around him and and now we're at a point two years on from winning a a an nba finals uh and then they were they were in a similar position last year uh, as they are now. So um, I, I don't I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for him to just take a step back, reevaluate at the very least what it is that uh, that he's committing to on a day to day basis, kind of like Tom is doing uh, in, in football. Uh, I, I I don't think that's too crazy. I, I don't really think don't. It's that, I don't think it's that crazy either. Um, and I think he's probably doing it. The, the one thing about LeBron that has actually legitimately bothered me over this, the course of his career is there's always a lack of accountability with LeBron. And it's just, it's just frustrating. I'm like, dude, like you fucked up. You shouldn't have brought on Russell, Wils- Russell Westbrook. That was a terrible idea. You shouldn't have brought in 37 year old Carmelo Anthony. You should, you shouldn't have done all this stuff because it's just setting you up to, to fail. You know, like, I get it. You did this, but now you have no other moves. There's, they didn't make a single move at the trade deadline. I guess they're going to try to look at the buyout market here in the next month, but there's nothing this team can do. And, and the crazy part is, is LeBron still putting up ridiculous numbers. He's still having a really, really good season, but it's this whole, like 
all the LeBron stands up like, well, LeBron's been amazing this year. It's like, it's the team around him. You know, it's like LeBron can't do everything. I'm like, well, who put together the team? Yeah. Right. That goes against LeBron too, except all you'll hear from LeBron is that it's, it's something else or people don't get it. Or it's never just like, you know what? I was wrong. I fucked up. I shouldn't have put this team together. It didn't work, which to be fair, I don't know of any GM who would come out and say that exactly, but it's, they would say something to that sentiment of like, we have to go back to the drawing board. We have to go back and look. And LeBron wanted to go all in with this team, with this setup, with his guys, older guys to try to make it work. And it just hasn't worked. Anthony Davis comes in after putting on a ton of weight, but like in muscle and it's completely took taken away some of the stuff that makes Anthony Davis great because AD realized, wait, there are two big guys now in the league who are better than me. Nikola Jokic and Embiid are both significantly better than me. He's like, so I need to be able to put on sweat. I got and he took away the one thing that made him so special, which was his twitchiness, his length, yeah. and, and and his ability to still be quick, mobile, fast, run up and down the court, spin. He took all that away when he added that weight to try to become what more of a post player, you know, to, to limit. And before he got hurt earlier in the season, he was the worst mid-range or the worst jump shooter from mid-range and three-pointer in the entire league for guys. And like, it, it was, I think at its lowest was like 33% from the field. Oh my gosh. And then he gets hurt and he's come back and he had, he had a stretch there. We put together a bunch of really good games. He actually had a pretty good game against Embiid about a month ago, but then he gets hurt again, you know, and Anthony Davis's career now it's become consistent enough now where he doesn't stay healthy either. Like Anthony yeah. Davis has been hurt more in the last few years than Embiid has. But Embiid yeah. still and, carries that moniker with him. And one of the th- I think part of that that drop off in production is because of what's around him. He's not asked to score like he can from mid range and long range because he has LeBron, because he has Westbrook on the floor with him, uh, and, and those are guys that that can do just about everything on the basketball court. Uh, so he's not asked to do sort of the things that made him a superstar in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. You know when we saw him hitting 40, 45% from three, right. Being able to do that and play defense and drive dribble drive and shoot mid range game and just carry that team to whatever 32 wins that they could ever surmise. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's not being asked to do that, but it's also LA. It's, it's not just the new Orleans thing. It's going back to the bubble version of the Lakers. Like the difference from yeah. Anthony Davis and LeBron, they had that awesome two man game in the bubble. That was like, when these two are both on and going, it's unstoppable. And they, they don't have that anymore. It's not in their repertoire because Anthony Davis can't stay healthy. LeBron's struggling to stay healthy. And Anthony Davis isn't that same player that he was a few years ago because he chose not to be that because he was getting butthurt that Charles Barkley and, and Shaq were calling him soft on, on the, inside the NBA. So I don't know. Like I, I don't have a lot of empathy for this Los Angeles Lakers team or for LeBron at this point. Like I will always respect the shit out of LeBron for a lot of different reasons. The one thing that I'll just never sit, the stuff that doesn't sit right with me is all of this antics. Like his Super Bowl commercial made me want to fucking throw up. Like the narcissism with some of that stuff with LeBron drives me nuts, but he's also unbelievably philanthropic. Right. He's done so much for his own community, the community he grew up in for people across the world. I commend him. He's a huge civil rights leader. But both things can be true. You can do a lot of good and yeah. also be a complete fucking narcissist. 
And that's exactly what LeBron is. And I, on the court, I'm amazed by him. And I still try to appreciate what we're seeing, but you know, father time that, that, you know, sand, what were the hourglass, the sand's starting to trickle out. It's it's, we're starting to get to the bottom here. And I think, I think he feels it. And I think NBA fans as a whole feel it. Um, Last thing before we take our last break, MVP for the season. I think it's got to be Embiid, just the way he's playing. I I have DeMar DeRozan in the conversation at this point, just because of the absolute tear that he's on. And yeah, he's this played well uh, for, the, for the entire season beyond that. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's got to be Embiid. Uh, he's, he's, he's just dominating everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's Embiid. That's the answer. It's Embiid. <laughs> I, I mean, I, and yeah. it, that's not even like a bias, like a bias thing with me right now. It's just... The stretch, the two-month stretch, he's he's just kind of finishing up now. Basically, like going back to like right before like Christmas to now, he has just been on another planet. He's been on he's second in the league in scoring. He adds such a presence defensively that other pe- that teams just don't want to go at him, you know. And every once in a while, somebody will. But it's also it, it's what he's doing as as from deep. He's shooting career best from three. He's shooting incredibly efficiently. He also has the number one user, uh, uh, not user rating, um, usage rating um, in the NBA this year. And yet he's also one of the most efficient players in the NBA. So it's volume and efficiency at the same time. And I get that he doesn't have the assist numbers that Jokic has, but they're not even remotely close to the same player. And I hate, hate, hate. I see Philly fans and Denver fans arguing on, on Twitter all the time about Embiid versus Jokic. And I'm like, why? They're different people. They don't even play the same position. Just because they're both seven feet tall does not mean we have to compare them. Because for all intents and purposes, Jokic is a center. Or sorry, is not a center. He is a point guard. That's In that offense, he is a point guard. He just is seven feet tall, right? Embiid mm-hmm. is Shaq and Hakeem with this little shimmy mid-range game, like his shooting close, Drew, uh, Drew Hanlon, um, you know, says that they like, they made a compilation video of the moves and has been like doing this year in his jump shot. They're all Kobe and they're all Michael Jordan. Like, and the, fl- the side-by-sides are terrifying. It's crazy. Like, but wait, this dude's seven foot three and he's doing this and he's the most physically imposing player in the league. And oh yeah, if you look at the rest <laughs> of that roster around Embiid, like Seth Curry is averaging like almost like, almost 20 points a game when he plays and shooting is the most efficient score. And I hate that he's not on the sixes anymore, but like he just was doing so much and elevated everybody around him based off of his pure dominance. And now you're going to put him with James Harden. Yeah. Who, by the way, is second in the league in assists right now, averaging 10.2 assists. It's, it's going to be ridiculous. It's going to be ridiculous. And I, I, there's a, like I said, there's a chance that with the Harden thing, some of Embiid's numbers drop, but the day that they made the trade for James Harden, Embiid dropped 40. So uh, I think the Sixers will be okay. All right, we're going to take a quick break, come back on the other side, wrap up the show with some golf talk in Saudi Arabia. You'll hear it next. So if you haven't been paying attention to any of the golf this year, I do not blame you because it's February. So casual golf fans, even just casual sports fans who like to tune in from the majors, we're still – a little bit away from Augusta, which is typically when your average golf fan checks in. But as we've talked before, we had the Waste Management Open this past weekend. was spectacular. 
We have the Genesis, uh, Genesis Invitational this weekend, which is also at Zat Riviera. It's Tiger is the host of it. Um, he did a press conference the other day, was very mums the word, right? It was one of those quiet Tiger press conferences where you know you're just not going to get anything out of them. Um, another really great event. And the whole season has been awesome because there is just talent all throughout the PGA Tour. Anybody on the tour can come out and win an event at any given time. It is fantastic. And the top tier, like we were just talking about top tier quarterbacks, the top tier of golfers right now is about 20 deep of like elite level golfers and yeah and, like the, and the pga is in phenomenal shape in that regard and most of them are playing this weekend in the genesis the top 10 in the world are playing say, in the genesis all top 10 so. uh, and the rankings right now will be playing this weekend so hey you're looking for a little something to watch on sunday no football throw on the genesis open however that's not the storyline that's been taking over golf this year especially here in the last couple of weeks and it's not the Netflix series, which they've been shooting already. So the Waste Management Open with Joel Damon taking his shirt off and Harry Higgs taking his shirt off and the hole-in-ones and all that stuff. That's all going to be the Netflix documentary or documentary series. It's going to be awesome. I cannot wait. Got another year or so before that's going to come out. The main story out of the PGA right now is the Saudi Golf League. Now, there's a lot of money in the Middle East, right? In oil, Saudi Arabia. Um, United uh, Emirates, right? Arab Emirates, like ton of money. Dubai, we all know about. It. Well, they're trying to start up their own golf league and are backing up the fucking Brinks trucks to try to get top end players from the PGA to switch over. There are some absurd numbers that are being talked about 100 million, 200 million. Yeah, what was, didn't I saw something before about Bryson getting offered like a ridiculous amount so bryson is an interesting character in all this anyone who knows this podcast knows that i can't fucking stand that guy he's the only athlete in professional sports right now that i vehemently dislike he hasn't played here in a few weeks he's saying he's rehabbing a wrist injury and a, i think a hip injury and the last time we did see him he was noticeably not swinging the club the same way i do believe with how hard he swings and all that long drive shit that he's doing, the physical side is going to catch up to him. He's even lost a little bit of weight because a lot of the weight he put on, I think was adding extra stress to his body. So the injury could be completely valid. However, when we're talking about numbers like this, we're talking about, you know, nine figure contracts here to go play on this tour. I find it hard to believe that some players aren't going to jump ship and go after the cash grab. However, I've been incredibly encouraged to see the response from guys on the tour. Now, one of the cool things about golf, right? If you're at that level is you make more money than you ever know what you want, need to do with it. If you're a top 20 player, top 50 player, anyway, you are multimillionaire. You are set. You win a few times. Let's say you're on the tour for six years and you win twice. You're pretty much going to be set for 40, 50 years. And that's like before you even touch endorsement money or anything like that. Mm-hmm. The money's not a factor, and I love this self-awareness, right? Rory McIlroy, Colin Morikawa, Patrick Cantley, all of these guys openly coming out and saying, "Our uh, John Rahm as well, our allegiances are with the PGA Tour, right? We're not in this for some massive cash grab, because if you're Rory McIlroy or John Rahm or any of those guys, $100 million, yeah, that might be a ton of money, but you're going to make more money than you know what to do. If you've already made more money than you know what to do with, 
So it's the prestige, the history, the tradition, all that stuff about the PGA Tour, chasing Tiger, all of that stuff. Like that is what comes with the PGA Tour. And there is a sanctity of golf that I love. That people who really love the game, they respect the game, similar to hockey in a weird way, even though those two are polar opposites of sports. So the one name that's been leaked, and this actually broke as we've been recording this, is that Phil Mickelson says that he is in, willing to get involved with the Saudi finance breakaway golf league that, that people are, are expecting to try to rival. Now, it's been long heard that once they get to 20 players on their bankroll, that's when they're going to publicly announce this Saudi golf league. And there's been a lot of fear that the young guys were going to bounce shit. But other than DeChambeau, there have not been many younger, important players to the league or to, to the tour that have entertained this other than, you know, Phil Mickelson, who obviously isn't young, but is one of those guys that is an icon in the sport and, and historically. So uh, I'll give you an open floor here, Scotty, because I don't know, as somebody who loves the game of golf and loves watching and loves where the tour is at, I've been like worried over the last couple of weeks, weeks reading this stuff that, well, what if they all just bounce? Or even like, what if like five or six of them did? What if like Morikawa and Cantley and, you know, Max Homa, I don't know, Brooks Kepka, any of those guys made that jump over? Someone that you like, someone you like to see compete. And how much damage that could do to what the PGA Tour is, which is, I think, one of the coolest sporting leagues we have in the United States. Yeah, I think one of the advantages of the PGA Tour is, you know, not necessarily that you you get to see the same person and win all the time. And if, even if you don't like that parody, the fact still remains that you're watching some of the greatest golf, one of the toughest mental sport, if not the toughest mental sport and, and, and one of the toughest physical sports uh, out there. Uh, and, and to have the, the level of competition that the PGA has hit, it's it's so fun as a fan to watch each and every day and i can get i can understand you know particularly some of the, some of the younger guys why they would would think hey maybe this is a good idea because i can go out and, and win some prestige and win some fame without having to uh you know necessarily uh, do get through the gauntlet that i would have to on the pga tour mm -hmm. enticing right and you and you get the money to boot so like win-win right um it's just all a matter of where guys' heads are at, right? So uh, I don't know. To me, that that would that would put a, a, a bit of a stain on on the game of golf, uh, because you know even if even if you are Phil Mickelson, right, you're going out there in Saudi in the Saudi league and and winning six out of every ten tournaments, right? What what's enjoyable about that? It's like playing a video game, uh, but in reverse, right? Like where if you were in the game and everyone else is, is seeing you continue to win because you've set your player at 99 or whatever the hell you do to, to get through a career mode, like a 20 year career mode on something, uh, then, you know, like that to me isn't enjoyable to watch. I'm like, I can check the headlines and see, Oh, Mickelson won again. Great. Fantastic. Kepka won again. Fantastic. Um, uh, and and you could set your watch to it, but in the, again, part of what makes the PGA so exciting is that there's so many guys at that level that each week in and out, 
each course in and out each major and even the non-majors it's just like every week gets more and more exciting the more talented that these guys get and that you lose a lot of that out of out of taking even even a, a small share of, of that talent out of the pga I, and i completely agree and the scary i think the scary part for this is that at least for for golf is that these guys will win enough and and do enough that they'll still get based off of the rankings because the rankings include not just the pga but the european tour the asian tour all these other you know tours around the world if they win enough over there they'll still get invited to all the majors so it's like almost like if you're a player you're like i can go play every single because the proposed format is that essentially 14 events in asia europe middle east and a couple in the u.s um a few team format stuff with about 40 player fields no cuts and then each week would be a 20 million dollar purse which is absurd and blows the average purse of the pga tour out of the water even Um, the majors aren't (laughs) now part of now mickelson did say and and i want to share this because it's true um this is a, a quote from um a biography that's coming out about phil mickelson uh, called uh, Phil, the rip-roaring and unauthorized biography of golf's most colorful superstar. And uh, the quote from, the, from this thing about this directly is talking about going and working with, you know, the Saudis is they're scary motherfuckers to get involved with. Nicholson told author uh, Alan Shipnuck said they killed a Washington Post reporter. They have a horrible record on human rights. They execute people for being gay over there. Knowing all of this, why would I even consider it? Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. And so the hope here is that um, Phil Mickelson wants to help change the way that the PGA, or PGA does their, their financial structures, right? Making bigger purses. Uh, and he thinks that the pressure being put on from the Saudis is he's in a position of leverage to try to help negotiate with the PGA to make things change, to help the players pocket at the end of the day, which for Phil, the money when he was playing, wasn't quite the same as what it is now, but Phil was also a top 10 highest paid athlete for about a decade. It was like tiger. And then he would be like fifth or sixth because of the endorsements and because of winnings and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, He also said that there's, he knows of at least 20 guys who want to do this. Uh, and if the tour doesn't do the right thing, there's a high likelihood it's going to happen. Now, who those guys are could be different. Dustin Johnson has been linked as well as DeShambo. You lose Dustin Johnson, you lose DeShambo, you lose Mickelson. The PGA Tour is still winning in that. But if you lose Brooks Kepka, if you, if you lose Colin Morikawa, if you were to lose these guys who those younger guys don't seem to be as bought into it as the others – it's going to start becoming a slippery slope. And my hope is that the PGA, they work something out. We don't end up losing these guys because I think it's a, not only is it a, a, a black mark on, on the PGA for, for losing these players. It's also a black mark uh, for golf to go being associated with people who are notorious for being incredibly shitty people for a massive cash grab. And that looks terrible on golfers who have just gone through this whole renaissance of like, holy shit, golf is cool now. It's like, oh, wait, now they sold out to the fucking Saudis. Like, that's just not good for the game of golf as a whole. 
And it's an opportunity for guys like DeChambeau or Dustin Johnson or Phil or anyone who would be playing over there to have your cake and eat it too, to make a shitload of money, more money than you were making, and also still get to play in the Masters and still get to play in the U.S. Open, still play in the Open and still play in uh, the PGA Championship. And, and that, to me, is a deal where it's like, I, I get it. Like, I get why they would do it. It's a human thing. We're all tempted all, you know, we all have temptations in life. We all have things that we might want to go to that we know we probably shouldn't, but it's too good of an offer for us to pass up. So my hope is that things ultimately get worked out, but the PGA is just in a really weird spot with this. And it's a fascinating story where we've seen one-off leagues like in the spring football leagues, right? We all know they, they got no shot to challenge the NFL. Well, the PGA is still at a point where if they got enough names and they have basically unlimited bank accounts over there, they could try to make a push to change the ABA and the NBA. Same thing happened then, right? When the NBA was kind of in a promising spot, but they had all these issues with cocaine, everything else they needed to spark for the league. Well, they were able to merge with the ABA and it helped turn the NBA into what it is right now. So I hope that's not the case um, for the Saudi league, unless, you know, the end result is that these guys don't leave because I think the best part about where we're at right now with the PGA is the fact that Dustin Johnson at 30 plus is still as dangerous as Morikawa at 23. And so, or 25, however old he is. I don't know. I don't, I don't like that Morikawa is younger than me. I really think that's just what it comes down to. I just like, <laughs> he's so good. He's so good. Um, yeah. But yeah. So we're we'll under, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, that's all we have for the pod. Great to have a sports gumbo back. We're going to have more of this moving forward. We're going to go full deep dive into uh, NBA stuff on Tuesday's pod. So get ready for that. We're also going to start talking some college hoops, getting ready for March Madness. Uh, and we'll update you with anything else that comes along. Um, you know, NFL 365. So there's always going to be something to talk about with the uh, with the old league there after even after a Super Bowl. So, uh, Scotty, thank you for joining for the boys. Have a wonderful rest, uh, wonderful weekend. And we'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. Take it easy, everybody.